0: You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast, brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and supported by the Western Weekender. For three decades, Penrith and the Blue Mountains have turned to the Western Weekender. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Here is your host, Jonathan robinson Lees.
1: Jason Pospital was born and raised in Penrith and was immersed into sport and the great outdoors from a young age. Attending St Dominic's College in Kingswood furthered his desire to chase sport as a career and instilled a sense of determination and discipline to progress to the next level. His storied career as a baseball player and a coach has often been pioneering. A willingness to challenge the status quo whilst respecting tradition has proven fruitful. A career that has spanned over two decades in countless countries, Jason continues to learn as a person. Through his worldly experiences, Jason has developed a strong understanding of imparting growth and development in both players and coaches alike. Jason joins us for the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Jason, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast.
2: John, thanks for having me, mate.
1: Jason, uh, middle of last year, 2019, you were appointed manager of the Emeralds, which is the national women's baseball team. Uh, it's a very
2: exciting challenge for you. What impact are you hoping to make in that role? I think that's the main reason why I actually applied for the job was that I saw it as a as a challenge. Um, I'd been involved in you know female baseball before in in you know smaller smaller parts, just helping out here and there, uh, mainly at the Major League Academy that we used to run on the Gold Coast. The the national team would come up and prepare, and I'd help out as a infield coordinator. But uh, I've always had yeah, the female athletes in our programs with baseball, New South Wales, and uh, they've always been yeah yearning for more knowledge. You know, they're very very receptive to information. Um, and when that role came up, a lot of people had asked me before would I be interested, and it just wasn't good timing at the time. You know, obviously with other teams that I was managing and stuff. But it came up and thought, you know what, that's a that's a program that. Um, you know, unfortunately, their, their world ranking had started to decline in the last two or three World Cups. And I thought that it was a program I could have a, have an effect on just with my understanding of modern-day philosophies. And, you know, my role with Baseball New South Wales helps with that a lot too. I get exposed to a lot of current information, which helps. So I thought, you know what, it's a good way to impact the program is to, you know, give them up-to-date information and modern-day philosophies and see what we can do. <laughs> And do you think that coincides, Jason,
1: with the rise of women's sport across the country and the world as well? That, that excites you as well with those
2: possibilities? Oh, 100%. 100%. I think once I, once I was um, confirmed in that role, I've done a lot of work with Baseball um, Australia, uh, and especially uh, a guy named Michael Crooks, who's the head of their baseball operations, in, in trying to, I suppose, um, overcome some boundaries as far as our, our athletes having the exposure to the same you know, factors and, the, you know, the same technology and the same teaching as, as what their male counterparts do. So we've been able to, you know, break down those boundaries and it, it's a, you know, kudos to Michael and Baseball Australia for that. And um, we're definitely on the on the right path. There's no doubt the growth in women's sport is undeniable, you know, to see, you know, the netball and the AFL and, you know, the women's rugby league and the cricket. You know, I watch it at home myself. I'm a big sports fan. Um, I watch it and especially the cricket Uh, women's cricket I really watch that just to see if there's any players that we can steal (laughs) (laughs) potentially Um, and uh, yeah it's it's been really great I've really enjoyed my time unfortunately we haven't had much time together Um, we've only had one tournament which was the Bendigo Challenge last year we played um, a touring team from Japan Uh, but but other than that we haven't had much time to get on the field now with COVID even worse but we're uh, you know a lot of Zoom meetings and you know, a lot of information on Facebook groups and stuff. Just just trying to put in place some some new philosophies and stuff like that. But uh, the growth of women's sport has is, is, is been great in this country, no doubt.
1: And just touching on, I guess, COVID, but even outside of COVID, the, the ability for mm. you to, I guess, bring together a group of women from all across Australia. Mm. Do you see your role when you're not together about educating, empowering? Like, what's the key to that, I guess, um, distance management in your role? I think
2: the education part of it is 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 huge for me, mate. There's a you know, having watched I I watched all their all their World Cup games from twenty eighteen and, and twenty sixteen and I looked at it and I thought, you know what, there is some big educational pieces and I, I I don't mean this disrespectfully at all to the prior staff or the prior regime, but there's some big big aspects educationally that I looked and thought, you know, they're missing that, they're missing this, and that can have a big impact on how they perform internationally. So the education component has been the big part for me in being able to, one, have the players understand, two, have my fellow staff understand, and then three, the relative people in each state, from a player development point of view, understand what are we trying to do, uh, what are we trying to accomplish, and you know it, it, it's 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 2020 you know there you need to adapt or you're going to die in any form of sport any form of life you need to adapt or you're going to die really and it's 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 as simple as that it's just about trying to educate people and have them understand that you know what what are modern day best practices what are modern day philosophies that we can take and is going to help us get better results in the national stage. so the empowerment through education is no doubt a, a big part of the picture.
1: And what does success look like for you, say, in five years' time with the Emeralds? If yeah. you can look back and say that was a successful tenure, yeah. what, what is that for you?
2: A win a World Championship. Simple as that. I think that the players have to believe that they can win a World Championship. Uh, we've finished second. We won a silver medal. I, I, can't, call, I can't remember the year. <laughs> I'm not very good with my history. Um, but we, we won a silver medal. We've won a bronze medal before. Um, but winning a world championship is our goal, simple as that. And that was our goal if we playing in a world cup this year in 2020. Um, unfortunately, because of COVID, it's been you know postponed. But that was our goal. And you look at you know going through all our player evaluations um, and looking at you know current metrics from the best players in the world. We have players on our team that can compete with the best players in the world. No doubt. Uh, it's just about them understanding. How they can compete with those players, um, and then having them believe that they can compete with those players, and you know, tournament baseball—it's like you know—you play five games in five days, and then you get reseeded, and then you play everyone in your in your in your group, um, you know, twice. So anything can happen in those seven to ten days. You know, you catch fire and you go on a run, and the next thing you know, you're playing for a gold medal. Um, yeah, subsequently it can happen the other way too. Get off to a real poor start and then you've got no chance. So tournament baseball is, is completely different than playing in, you know, league play like people would see on T V in the big leagues or the minor leagues, we're playing a hundred and sixty one, hundred and sixty two games. You know, you, you might be you might have a bad month win loss, but you still stay in it and give yourself a chance.
1: And Jason, you talked about that what excited you about that role is the challenge that comes with it. Mm. Throughout your career, you've really taken on a lot of different challenges uh, willingly most of the time. Is Mm -hmm. that ingrained in you, that kind of underdog mentality, the want to
2: kind of prove the doubt is wrong? Um, I wouldn't say it's proved the doubt is wrong. To be honest, mate, I get bored with things really easily. And I'll do something for, you know, two, three years, and then I'll be like, oh, you know, I've got this, not down pat, but, you know, I've achieved what I want to achieve. What's next? Um, I'm always looking at what's next and... Something that I can work towards, and um, I think that's like I said with the emeralds. When I saw that, I thought, you know, that that's a that's a challenge. That to me was a challenge. I thought well, I can have an impact on that. That's a challenge over the next, you know, four, five, six years. You know, two or three World Cups, and let's see what damage we can we can do. You know, so um, yeah, I wouldn't say it's about you know having that you know up yours mentality. Or I'll show you. Um, I don't think anyone likes to be doubted by people. But a lot of the time, you know, that doubt is out of your control. You can't control what people think of you. So internally, you have to try and, you know, find something to light the fire and keep one foot in front of the other and find a challenge. But yes, you know what? I think the boredom runs in the possible family, to be honest. (laughs) I think we're like that. My dad is like that. My brother's like that. Um, You know, we, we, we try things and we sort of master it or, you know, we've had enough of it. Oh, what's next? Let's try something else. So... Um, especially in our golf games, try a driver doesn't work. Go and buy a new one. Try that. So it, I think it runs in the official blood, mate. And jumping back
1: to your upbringing, Jason, you grew up in Warrington Downs in Penrith. Yep. What was your childhood like?
2: I had a great, I had a great childhood, mate. Um, you know, I a lot to my parents. Uh, they had. I was in a really, really good environment. They supported me whatever I did. You know, it, school, um, different types of sports. Um, yeah anything really and provided me with really really good you know direction about what I should be trying to achieve you know um, uh, mum and dad at the time were it it was good they had both the aspects covered so mum was the school education site kept me on the straight and narrow there and oh you need that's important because if your sporting career doesn't pan out you'll be able to do this and you know yes mum right oh I get it I get it um, and then my dad was obviously he was the you know the sporting side of the family, so he was the one that that drove me from a sporting side of view and you know kept me motivated and stuff like that. Wasn't afraid to give me a kick in the ass when he wanted to, um, and <laughs> and tell me when I didn't do things right. But um, he's always been pretty good too, telling me when I do, when I do things right. So yeah, I, I was lucky, mate. I had a, I had a very good upbringing as a child. Um, it's a great, great um, you know community. And street that we lived in, all the kids in our street were all sports nuts. So that's all we did every afternoon. We were playing footy or soccer or cricket. or um, but We didn't play, never played baseball. That was just my weekend sport. But um, And I think that was sort of where my dad was very competitive. But I think that's sort of where I derived my competitiveness from, is that every single day after school, out the front, it was a different sport. And we used to get after each other. It wasn't touch footy, it was tackle, and like it was tackle on the on the pavement. Um, you know, cricket was you know bouncing the shit out of each other, and it was competitive. We used to get after us so about four or five of us. It was really really cool. It's pretty cool.
1: So that role of, of sports and outdoors yeah. and adventure, what did that teach you? First and foremost, was it resilience. You said the competitiveness. Yeah. What else did
2: you take from that time? I think the the competitiveness, no doubt. Um, you know, nothing pissed me off more than losing. Um, Even in a game of cricket out the front, if I got beat, I'd be dirty. Um, And my brother and I used to have some humding battles. We used to get after each other. Um, But I think that, you know, the the competitive side was the big thing. Um, And then, you know, as far as resiliency, mate, I think I learned probably more about that as I got older. I think back then, when I was younger, I didn't even really know what resiliency was or didn't even... It wasn't even a consideration. It was just... you, you. whatever you were playing you went as hard as you could to try and win and if you didn't win you felt shitty and you were pissed off and if you won it was great so um yeah I think the competitiveness no doubt and like I mentioned before my dad is a he's a competitive fiery son of a gun and I was like that as a young kid um, I'm a lot more mellow now. Uh, trust me, mate. I'm a lot more mellow now than I used to be. Um, but back then, it was uh, it was game on. No matter what, even if we are playing stuff like you know, Connect Four, board games, Monopoly at home, I'd just trying to crush you. <laughs> you mentioned your dad. He he played cricket
1: and baseball yeah. himself. What influence did that have on you? Seeing your old man out there yeah. playing sport, you know, at whatever level that was.
2: Um, yeah, I, I don't have many you know, memories of being able to actually watch Dad play. Um, but I know, you know, probably, you know, seven, eight, nine years of age, I remember you know, he he was playing just social, like, you know, slow pitch softball and stuff at the time, but he was a very he was a really good cricket player. Um, played baseball in the winter. And I was lucky too because my, my grandfather on my dad's side was heavily involved in soccer, it was a president um and secretary of um the old Sydney Croatia, which was Sydney United and the NSL. So I was at soccer games and, you know, ask crazy Croats are like, mate. So soccer games, it's, like, pretty intense. Um, and then my grandfather on my mum's side was a very good rugby league and very good cricket player. So I was surrounded by, um, you know, male role models and mentors in sport. You know, both my grandfathers and, and my dad and my uncles all played sport. So we were just in a sporting – I was just lucky to be brought up in a sporting family, mate. So – do you think in your
1: role now, or in in number of roles as a coach, is that what you try and still in, especially the younger players, like that enjoyment in sport, that not to get too caught up in making a career out of it? Because you're a great example of someone who's immersed themselves into sport and that's helped you grow as a person. Mm. Is that a lesson you try to pass on to young players?
2: Um, I think it varies from individual to individual because obviously everyone has different personalities and there's you know, different things that make them tick. There's some kids that you know, 12, 13, 14 years of age, when I first start to work with them in my day job now, that they just have their mindset on that is what they're going to be. Um, And managing, I think that expectation is is the big question, because you have to try and ascertain, well, is that internally driven or is it parent driven? And a lot of the time, I don't care what anyone says, it's parent driven, no doubt in my mind. Um, Because, you know, a lot of parents, you know, we're adults and you know, we, we have, a, I suppose, a better understanding, a better maturity about some things. And, you know, when they see kids signing for $500,000, dollars 700000 and they think that their little Johnny's going to do that. And, uh, yeah, I think trying to trying to keep it in perspective for the kids and have them understand about what it actually takes and how they are evaluated as to whether they are going to have the opportunity to go and play. There's a lot of people that want to go play professional baseball, but I'm sorry, they don't have the physical tools or the skill set to play professional baseball. So to me, you know, I understand, I, I get the whole having dreams. Yeah, it's great to have dreams, but you also got to have a bit of reality and understand where you fit in the big picture. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of my athletes that I deal with now, we portray, you know, not not portray the message, but I suppose have them understand that, you know, going to the US collegiately is probably a better option where, they can get, you know, an education, but they also get four years of, of, of additional repetitions that they don't get here in Australia because baseball is obviously a, a minority sport. So I think you just got to keep it in perspective, mate. It's different with different individuals, and you know the ones that their goals are driven by their parents, they're the hardest ones to crack, obviously. <laughs> and listen, I'm a parent. I've got a five year old son, um, and the amount of people that ask me, "Oh, is he going to play baseball?" and I'm like, "He can play whatever he wants." Wants to play soccer if he wants to be an ice skater if he wants to be an archer I don't care I just it's, whatever he enjoys yeah
1: it's a good point you bring up Jason is that something that you want to take from your parents down to your son is just that support for whatever he, he wants to do you'll support him but you also
2: provide the different opportunities for him as well hundred percent mate hundred percent because you know I it's it's hard to say I know before you were saying about being raw <laughs> but. Uh, you know, I have a younger brother, he's 30, 34, um, and he was a really good good athlete, but I saw that because of my success as a junior, he sort of lived in the shadow, and there was expectations that he'd be like me, and I'm not saying I was a, you know, superstar, but I was a pretty good athlete when I was younger, and he went through that, and I saw the damage that that did to him as an individual, Um, and, you know, he's, he's taken a path now that, you know, essentially, I think he took it because he wanted. He was trying to establish his own identity rather than being, oh, you're going to be like your older brother, you're going to be like your older brother. Right? It's not fair on somebody. Everyone's different. And that's all exactly the same you know, concern I have with my son is that I. everyone asks me all the time, is he going to play baseball? Is he going to play baseball? Is he going to like baseball? I said, he has no interest in baseball. And I don't care if he doesn't. It. it does not bother me one little bit. But he loves his soccer. Um, I coach his team, will help coach his team, he loves it, um, he's doing good at school, and the most important thing for me is to see him grow and become a good person and have a good future, and if I can help him in any way, then hopefully I've done my job. <laughs> we had
1: Josh Layla on the show a few series ago, and Josh mentioned the same thing, that for his son, he, he didn't want him just to fall into the cricket path, he mm. wanted him to, to go and see the world for himself. Mm. But how do you balance that, and I asked the same question of Josh, when your son sees you at baseball all the mm. time, he might see you on the telly in, in baseball mm. you know, in baseball situation. How do you try to separate
2: that for your Um son? I suppose my situation's a little bit different because um you know I'm I'm separated so I only get him on Friday nights and Saturdays. So and I try to make a concerted effort, then when I have my time with him, it's not on a baseball field. Or well, I'm nowhere near a baseball field. Um and, you know, I, I get a lot of people that ask me how come I'm not on the weekends watching state league games or I'm not watching this game or I'm not watching this game. The weekend time with my son is time with my son. Um, and I don't want him to spend his life when he gets to see his dad. Me doing baseball stuff, When I, I do it 24-7, mate, Monday to Friday. The last thing I want to do on the weekend is be here at the baseball field, to be honest. Not that I love the game, obviously, but, I, you know, the, that work-life balance is important to me. And... Um, yeah, you know, I think for him like I oh, I love being able to go and watch him play his forty minutes of soccer on a Saturday and see him have fun and um you know <laughs> the other day was funny, we played a game and he come off the field and he's like, Daddy, my heart is my heart is beating really fast and I'm like, Yes, mate, it's cause it's called exercise. You're actually running around. So that was a pretty cool moment. But uh
0: yeah, it's just again,
2: I think it's perspective, trying to keep things in perspective. I don't have any pressure on him whatsoever to play baseball or do what he's dad does and you know i i bought him a junior set of golf clubs he had i think he's picked the club out of the bag once and I <laughs> you know i think he's picked up a baseball glove to try and play the throw with me once um he got into hitting a little bit but he, he it's it's not something that he's really interested in so and that's no dramas with me. it doesn't bother me at all
0: This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media.
3: For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Your
1: first game was when you were 10 years old. Mm -hmm. Do you recall that feeling the first time or even the first season out in the Diamond? Like, was there a certain sense of enjoyment or or energy that came with that first experience?
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, ever since I was probably three or four, I'd played, you know, catch with my dad in the backyard and, you know, he'd throw me balls, I'd try to hit him, and, you know, he'd hit balls, I'd try to field them. So that was from about three or four. Um, And then I actually... My introduction to baseball was actually through, funny enough, softball. So, my primary school, Cambridge Garden Primary, um, we had a group of parents that played in a um, slow pitch softball team. And all the kids, we all started to obviously be around it and started to get engaged with it. So, then we entered a T ball team into the Penrith City Softball Association. So, I played T ball for a couple of years, seven, eight. And then when I was nine, I played one year, I think they called it mod ball at the time, which um, I did okay at, didn't really enjoy it. I'd always, and my, the, the thing that really got me into baseball beside my dad playing was, funny enough, My when I was nine, my softball coach at the time had actually come from baseball. And he gave me an old um, cassette tape, VHS, of... Um, a video called The Dodgers' Way to Play Baseball. And ever since I watched that, I was hooked. I'm, like, I'm playing baseball. And I left softball. That was it. I was gone. As soon as I watched that VCR, I'm out. What was so, it about that video that really drew you in? Um, just, oh, I mean, just look at the the uniforms and the backdrop. Like, it was at Vero Beach in Florida. Beautiful place. The, the grass was green as. And I just vividly remember watching that video it was an instructional video, and uh, that's it. I'm playing baseball, and I'm a, Do- I'm a Dodgers fan. I've been a Dodgers fan ever since, just because of that v- VCR, that VHS, sorry. And um, yeah, it's amazing how something can grab you like that, but that was it for me. Once I saw that, I was like, I'm going to play baseball, and I left, I left you know, softball as such, um, played my first game at 10, and you wouldn't believe it, our first game at 10, it was all the same guys. We all left softball, pretty much a whole team went and played baseball, and we ended up being all right at it.
1: <laughs> Did you have aspirations as a kid around that age of, I'm going to make a career out of this, you know, as a player and or coach? Yeah. Or was it just literally, you know what, I'm out there having fun
2: playing the game? Um, initially, it was about mateship. You know, it was all the same guys from school. We all played together. and We all happened to be okay at the game. Um, and then I think it was probably... I made my first state team, under-14 state team, when I was 12. So I was the youngest player at the entire championship. Um, and made the team. We won a national championship. I made the team at 13 as a right-age right, you know, um, right kid. And then it was probably under-16s where I started to think that, you know what, I'm all right at this. I, can, I, I thought I was a pretty decent player. And had coaches tell me I was a pretty good player and they started to say, have you got thoughts about maybe doing this, maybe doing that. And I think it was that time around 15 where I decided, you know what, this could be something that I could um, do. Um, the issue, not the issue, but one of the challenges was I really, really love my cricket too. So I played a lot of cricket at school. Um, I didn't play club cricket at all as a junior because I was playing club baseball and obviously both been summer sports. But I was a pretty decent cricket player. I uh, made the Australian Catholic schoolboys team a couple of times and I was like, you know what? Oh, I was a you know, bowler, a wicket keeper, a batsman. Um, I'm like, oh, tough decision. But no, I think it was about 15 and then about 16, year 10. I think it was about near 10 where I thought, you know what, yeah, I'm going to go baseball. Still play cricket, but. Um, baseball was it for me that's where I might you know I'll pursue this path see how we go
1: and was your high school St Dominic's yes is that right yeah and yeah. how did you
2: enjoy again just that the sports environment that came with the school like St oh, Dobbs it was great I mean I originally didn't get accepted um mum and dad put the enrolment in I didn't get accepted and I was going to go to Cranbrook High and that was only because all my mates from school wanted to go there and mum and dad were like yeah right go with your mates and there's about three or four days if I I think I think that's about right. Three or four days before the school term started, Mum and Dad got a call. We've had dropouts. You want to take a spot? So everything will change in a matter of three or four days. And I went to St. Dom's and you know what? I loved it. I had a great day. I had Very good teachers. Um, great bunch of mates. We all played Every We played cricket together. We played soccer together. I was never a leaguey. Um, the league, never used to like me too much because used to steal their, <laughs> steal their thunder a bit, um, winning some sports awards and stuff. But I was never really into the into the league. Um, I love watching it, um, but I never entertained entertained playing it at all. A lot of the footy coaches wanted me to play um, all the time. You want to come play footy? You now you're a good athlete. Come play footy. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not interested. So my grandfather would be turning in his grave if he knew I played league. So um, now soccer and and soccer and cricket. Um and you know, even the competitive side there just being around a whole bunch of guys that just love sport and they were just so bloody competitive we just wanted to win um, our know, cricket team we lost to St Gregg's three grand finals in a row um, Daniel Christian played for St Gregg's he was a, probably the quickest bowler that we faced at the time He he had some talent um, yeah, he used to tear through us all the time. So we got to the three grand finals in a row and lost to St. Greg's And um, soccer we used to do okay. But, yeah, it was a great, it was a really cool time at St. Dom's. I, liked my t- I enjoyed my time there and had good um, you know, good te- good teachers, good education, great bunch of mates. You know, we stay in touch now. and It's good fun. Do you look back at that as, it's a bit of a sliding doors moment in mm.
1: terms of had that application not got through, you mm. would have ended up at Cranbrook High, Mm. Just a completely different environment, no mm. doubt. Do you do you often wonder maybe what would have happened, or is it
2: just it, what what happened happened? Or you can't change the past. Absolutely, I think about what would have happened, hundred percent. Because at the time, Chrome High didn't have a very good reputation. Um, it's been a good high school. You know, a lot of dramas, a lot of violence um, surrounding that high school. Um, the area at the time wasn't very, um, you know, well respected. And I was, yeah, I I think about that all the time, mate. all the time. If I'd gone there, um, what would have happened? Would I still be alive? (laughs) You know, no disrespect to people that go to Cranbrook High or people that have gone there, but at the time, that was, it just had a bad reputation. And the only reason I was going to go there was because my mates from primary school were going there. So, um, you know, I went to St. doms and I think in my year seven class, there was only two other kids from my primary school that went there. So I, you know, met a whole new bunch of mates and whatever else. Um, yeah, the rest is history. I'm still alive, mate. So it's a good thing.
1: <laughs> Jason, you mentioned before the show that you love the challenge uh, of baseball. You know, it's a picture pitcher versus the hitter, mm-hmm. round ball versus round bat. The the irony that for baseball success is when you're hitting three out of ten balls in play. Yeah. Has that appreciation for the challenge of the game grown throughout your
2: career, or is that something that you appreciated at a a really young age? Um, Probably more so as I've got older. I think at the time, playing, um, without sounding arrogant, I I was always pretty successful, so I never had to really deal with failure. I didn't know how to deal with failure. And the first time I actually had to deal with failure was when I was a professional. So I signed a professional contract, um, to go and play in the minor leagues, and that my first season was a disaster, absolute disaster, and I think that really affected me more than, um, more than I admitted at the time. As I've got older, I look back now and think, you know, yeah, I didn't handle that very well at all because I'd never handled failure before, um, and that's a, a big thing now with, in you know, a coaching career, is having kids understand about handling failure and also being, you know, process-driven rather than results-driven because it is such a hard sport to play at the higher levels. Um, you know, like I said, playing cricket, you know, faced Jason Crazier and um, Daniel Christian and a couple of other decent bowlers. And, yeah, batting in cricket's tough, but the bats, it, it's square. Like, you've got a bigger surface area. Like, I, yes, it's hard. Um, and I haven't faced guys, you know, like Paddy Cummins or Mitch Johnson or Starkey or any of those guys. But I look at it and I think, you know what? It's it, it has to be easier because you've got a square a square bat, um, and you know the average major league fastball velocity now is about ninety three mile an hour at sixty feet six inches. So about similar the same length as cricket pitch. i'm um, oh, sorry, Pop and cruise, did yeah, Pop and cruise. So it's about 93 mile an hour and that's gone up four miles an hour in the last eight years. right? So that is an astronomical jump in velocity and you think over that time the ball can go left, right, down. They can change speeds. They throw the ball in, out, up, down. Like there's, it's just uh, unbelievable skill to master. And... I, um, you know, a lot of people that are sports fans, I've always said to them, you need to go and watch a game live, which I know you've experienced, mate, with your time um, with the Blue Sox, but you, you go and stand next to a, a baseball field at a high level and you watch the speed of the game and what happens and you, I think you'll get a, a far better appreciation for how hard it actually is. It's
1: There's something addictive about the sport, right? It's It's... Almost you've got the game of chess, the tactical side of it, but then you've Mm. also got, as you said, the pace and the strength, the physical dimensions that come with it. Do you Mm. think that's why it is also such a challenging sport? Because there's so much mental, but there's so much physical that you've got to
2: combine into this sport. I think the the physical challenges of baseball have have, have really changed. The game went through the steroid era in the 90s um, where everyone was just you know, juiced to their eyeballs on, on, on roids you know, the Sosas and Maguires and Bonds and that. And then that really, even though it was a blot on the sport, I think that really, to me, turned the tide on the strength and conditioning side of the game and everyone started to get bigger and stronger and more powerful. Um, so there's that part of it. But, yeah, the chess side of it, you know, the, the strategy and the and the and you know, the tactical side has changed immensely too because of the introduction of analytics and data. You know, there's teams now that are spending millions and millions of dollars in, you know, the major leagues and the minor leagues on analytics departments, and you know, it's almost like the game is now being played on a computer, as such. Or there's that mentality it's being played on the computer because of the metrics. But, you know, the numbers tell a story, and you can use numbers for helping your tactical decision making. You can help the the numbers for player evaluations. Um, you know, it's changed the game so, so much. And, you know, my, my opinion is it's still a mix. It's a mix of the front office metrics, analytics stuff in combination with your old school, you know, scouting and, and player development. I think when the metrics and analytics got introduced, it went completely too far the other way. And uh, now I think you're, you're finding that the game's starting to come back to a level where it's, it's a mix, um, the one, the one thing about baseball, it's always intrigued me about what other sports are doing in that space. Like, I've, I've thought many times about, you know, is, is there a way that, you know, I could be employed or help in cricket, you know, from metrics, analytics point of view and different philosophies that we use um, on the field and how that relates to the game cricket.
1: You mentioned the scouting component. There mm. still obviously has to be some kind of human element, right, mm. in terms of, you put a player into a situation and, and the, the data tells you they're going to behave in a certain way, yep. but there still has to be that consideration for they're a person, they're not a robot, mm-hmm. right? That they mm-hmm. might
2: react or play differently yep. to what the situation provides. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's I think, the, like you said, the human element was what got completely overlooked when the game changed and it changed because of one movie, because of Moneyball. So when Moneyball came out, it was one organisation challenging the way the game was played and then, because of their success, uh, other teams started it. So then Boston did it, and Boston won a World Series in two years. And then everyone like, well, if Boston's done it and Oakland's done it, well, guess what? Now we're all gonna do it, right? And the that that huge wave around the game essentially overlooked the human. I think the human element of players can they handle pressure? Um, you know, are they better suited in this role than that role? yeah, the numbers tell us that this guy is a great hitter, but he might be a great hitter in certain situations which skew the data, for example. Um, and data to me leads to more data because people, more data needs more questions and more questions need to be answered. So now more, there's more data being driven. There's more analysis, more research. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy, mate. It is crazy the amount of data that they can get on players now and yeah you know, tell it's 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 ridiculous it's ridiculous you need to have a you need to have a degree <laughs> just to be able to analyze it and where do you sit on that spectrum in terms of analytics
1: versus human element are you somewhere in the middle or leaning more to one side
2: my philosophy's changed a lot i i do believe in analytics i do believe in metrics because i think it can it can tell you um, in an unbiased fashion, about what's actually going on, because I think with the human element, there's a lot of players that people judge by their personality rather than what they're actually doing on the field, and maybe their past experiences as well. Correct. Um, but from a managing side of view, you know, people skills—you have to understand those individuals. What makes them tick? What are their, you know, what are their fears? What are, I'm big on personality traits. I do personality. Um, profiling, I've done that with the Emeralds. And, you know, you need to know what players, if they're in trouble, you've got to put an arm around and calm them. You've got to know what players can take a kick in the backside. You know, you, you know, you need to pull your head out of your backside, let's go, sort of thing. So I think it's a, it is, it's a, it's a mix. It's definitely a mix. Um, but the analytics and the metrics, for me, tell a story that potentially your eye doesn't see. So and consequently, great. they make these things that your eye can see, like you said, the human element. The data can't prove either, mm. so that's why it's got to me. It's got to be a mix.
1: Jumping back to your playing time, as you mentioned, mm. you signed a minor league contract, and that was with the Minnesota Twins organization. Mm. How did that come to fruition? Was there a draft process where you scouted
2: from America, you know, looking at the Australian leagues? Yep. How did that come come yep. to life? Um. So. Most of the major league teams had scouts in Australia at the time. Uh, someone who lived here or someone who might have been, you know, Japan, Southeast Asia, US or whatever, and they travel over and watch our major tournaments. So I first started to get some exposure um, around that 15, year, 15 16 um, years of age mark. And that's when, you know, I started to make made the decision, yeah, well, baseball's it. I think I wasn't getting any interest in people saying, so you are going to play cricket. Um, so I was like, well, baseball's it. So... I think uh, it was probably the under sixteen national championships in Alice Springs. Uh, that would have been nineteen ninety. <laughs> Whew, it's a long time ago, mate. Nineteen ninety eight, I think. In uh, yeah, in the middle of January in Alice Springs, four thousand degrees, um, and I had a unbelievable tournament. Um, I hit almost 500. I hit about 480. I had more extra base hits than singles. I played really good defense, stole a lot of bases. And, you know, Dad started getting um, hounded by some scouts to fill in these information cards. You know, we want your information. You know, your date of birth and your name, and where you were born, all this stuff. I know You have to talk to Dad about it, mate. But I know he was getting bombarded and that was where I started to get some interest. Um, and then... Um, the following year, I actually, um, didn't play in the national championships. I got hurt. I had knee surgery. Um, and I was a little bit concerned because I thought, all right, well, the only chance for these guys to really watch me play is the national championship and I missed out. But there were still some, you know, teams that stayed in touch and, you know, got in contact with mum and dad. How's it going? Stuff like that. So just doing their homework. And then the under 18s national championships in 2000 in Sydney, I won the MVP, um, so I had two or three teams that were really interested. Um, and I had the, the Dodgers, the Brewers, and the Twins. And uh, being a Dodgers fan, I was like, I'd do anything to sign with the Dodgers. Um, but, you know, now knowing what I know from a scouting point of view, I was so tiny. I was just so tiny stature-wise. I was only, I'm 5'8 now. I think back then I was probably, I don't know, about 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, or something like that. And, um, and, and really understrength. And um, so a couple of Dodgers and Brewers um, pulled out of the race. And then it was the Twins or a couple of um, college offers. And some offers to go to college. And at the time, um, the US dollar, I think, was about 48 cents or something ridiculous. So mum and dad just weren't in a financial position to afford for me to go to a US college and you know pay for my tuition and all that stuff. There was a not, it wasn't a full scholarship. It was only a partial scholarship, so it was really signed with the twins or go and bag groceries at Woolies. <laughs> so, signed with the twins, and um, yeah, that, that's pretty much how it came. It was pretty quick actually, after the national championships finished um, in about mid January, and I think I signed in early February.
0: This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media.
3: For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday. Was there a sense when you put pen to paper
1: that, you know what, I've made it, you know, I've finally cracked it as a professional baseball player. Or were you aware of the toil and the years of hard work that would
2: need to be put in? Um, it's funny now, you look back on it, because, I, mate, I, I, I rarely talk about this. I, I don't talk to many people about it um, so long ago. Um, at the time, I was just excited. You know, I, I knew I was a good player. And I'm like, yeah, I can play professional baseball. That's what I wanted to do. When I got the offer, I was like, oh, well, we're doing it, right? So we did it. Um, and I had, a, had an agent at the time who was a local guy whose son had actually signed with the Twins as well um, in Dave Balfour. So he helped me get through the process, but I was just excited, ready to go. Um, what I didn't know was when I got there, the enormity and the quality of players, I, I had no idea. And I went there thinking, oh, you know, a young pro, just getting paid to play. I'm a pretty good player in Australia. I'll be able to handle this. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I think it was in like probably the first week of me getting there. I, I vividly remember lying in my hotel room thinking, what am I doing here? I'm way out of my league, way out of my depth physically. Um, and I think me being out of my depth physically really impacted me mentally about whether I could actually compete at that level. And that was really, like I said, the first time I had to handle failure and I really didn't know how to. Was that a
1: combination as well? Do you think of, you know, homesickness, isolation being literally all the way
2: around the world Um, from friends and family? Yeah, I was pretty lucky. I mean, I think first time away, homesick, yes, but I had really, really good teammates, really good roommates. Um, Yeah, my three years I spent over there, I had some really good roommates. Actually, uh, I had, (laughs) I had my roommate in rookie ball played the big leagues. And then my roommate, my last year's at Pro Bowl, played the big leagues. So <laughs> I may be a bit of a lucky charm. Um, they all played the major leagues. Um, one of them was an all-star, Jason Kubel, so that was pretty cool. But I think um, I had a good good support network in good teammates. And, you know, mum and dad always kept in touch, and that was pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think, you know, personally, I, 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 it was the first time I really doubted myself and whether I think I could compete because I remember walking in there and there's, you know, you've got guys from Latin America, you got these huge big dudes and there's Americans that are four years out of college and they've got four years of strength and conditioning and, you know, they're 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and, you know, 100, 100, 110 kilos and here I am 5'7", and about 150 pounds ringing wet and I'm just like, what the hell am I doing here, you know, and um, the Twins at the time had a high percentage of Australian players, so that was also a, a pretty fortunate thing. We were able to hang out with each other and support each other. But um, I think externally, externally things seemed okay, but I definitely know internally there was times that year I'm just like, I, I just shouldn't be here. <laughs> Did you have
1: that kind of thought? I just want to get home. I want to throw it all in um, and get home. Or you you always so committed to the game? You
2: know what? The first, the first two years, no. Even though So the first year, um, even though I had some self-doubt, I you know, persevered because I just loved being on the field. Um, and towards the end of the year, I started to show some signs of improvement. Um, the second year, my um, parents unfortunately went through a separation that impacted me pretty hard. So the twins sent me to the Major League Academy on the Gold Coast instead of going over the My second year, and they wanted me to learn a new position. They wanted me—I was a second baseman, shortstop. They wanted me to learn how to play center field because my running speed was always a, a huge um, uh, positive of my game. So. And in that eight weeks at the academy learning a new position and I actually had a really good academy. The twins were really happy with me. Um, And I was like, okay. And that off season, I, I went and got really, really strong, got in good shape. And I went back my third year, had a really good spring training. I hit about 350, 360 in spring training. And then in extended spring, we got a new hitting coach. And the new hitting coach and I just clashed instantly. Just a different philosophies you know I, it was the first time my pro career actually felt like I could compete I was doing well and he wanted to change me and he wanted me to do this different type of hitting style and you know at that stage you don't feel like you can question them obviously so I was like well, I better do this so I started to do it and i I really really scuffled um, to be quite honest i I sucked I was awful I went from hitting 370. 380, I, was, I actually was going better and extended before he got to me, <laughs> and then I ended up ending extended, um, hitting about 210, and I knew that I was on the bubble, so I walked into our um, minor league, um, our farm director's office, Jim Rance, and Jim Rance was there for about 50 years, and I, I walked in the office, and of Mr. Rance and goes, can I, um, can I have a chat to you, and he goes, yeah, no worries, and he called me Pops like everyone else, he goes, spare Pops, come in, <laughs> So I sat down, I said, Mr. Rance, I said, I can't play for this guy. I said, if I'm going to be down here in rookie ball again, if that's where I'm slated to go and this guy's a hitting coach, I'm retired, I'm out. And he said, well, you don't have to worry about it. He said, because you're going up. And my, I went from you know, being so disappointed to being, oh, I'm going up, I actually get to go play when it's night time instead of daytime because in rookie ball you play in the day. Um, and yeah, my... my um, my mentality changed straight away, but that was the first time I thought about quitting. I was ready to go because I just couldn't. I didn't feel like I was in the best position to be able to succeed or do well. And him and I just had a had a huge clash. And then when when Jim Rance said to me I was going up a level to short season A to play um, in the Appalachian League, I was like, "Okay, Mr. Rance, thank you for your time." And out I walked. So that was the first time that I felt like quitting, um, and it ended up being a bit of a positive. Funny enough, yeah, complete opposite. We learn as people kind of through adversity and tough times.
1: Do you now as a coach see that time, that experience with that hitting coach as something definitely not to do now that you're coaching, that Mm. you need to be very mindful that if you're making a call to change someone, to change their technique, you need to be very
2: aware of the impact that might have on it? Absolutely. And I think that uh, that was a huge impact um, on my career. And from a coaching sense, it's you know, you never want to coach, I I suppose, um, style out of a player, Um, you know, obviously with technology now, video analysis, etc., we can take a lot of video, and you can slow it down, and you can have a look, and yes, you might want players to make real minor adjustments, um, but it's more to me philosophically than technically, so, for example, you might have, um, you know, we, we live in the era now of launch angle, and exit velocity, and home runs, and yeah, that plays at major league level and that's what they're trying to develop at minor league level so that they can have guys playing the big leagues and win games. But, for example, you might have a kid here who's very similar to what I was as a 15, 16-year-old, you know, five, six, and 60 kilos or whatever, hitting the ball in the air all the time he's so trying to hit home runs. Well, that can't be productive. So it's more a philosophical change and technically, I think that's the big thing. But there was no doubt that that's played a big impact on my career as a coach was that, experience as a player and um, you know it's working with every individual and yeah you're not trying to coach style out of them that's for sure everyone's got a different style and stuff like that there are absolutes that you want to see. It's like anything you know you look at fast bowling and cricket you know everyone different run-ups and different actions but there's you know fundamental absolutes that they all have to do um, to be successful and it's no different in baseball you hear a lot about minor league baseball, you know, the
1: phrase kind of riding the bus, that every day you're just toiling and toiling Mm. and toiling. Mm. You're up the next day on the bus, Mm. next town, Mm. baseball, and it's just non-stop, relentless stuff. Mm. Do you think there is a proper understanding from outside baseball circles of the difficulties of that lifestyle? Because the reality is, unless you crack the majors, you're, you're scraping
2: by week on week. Yeah, I think you don't really know it until you experience it, obviously. Um, But I think that, you know, the, people that have come back from professional baseball um, have done a pretty good job in relaying that to the kids who want have aspirations to do it and professional baseball is not for everyone and there's some people that just can't cut it um, it is that lifestyle doesn't suit them so I mean the first first year in rookie ball we're in the hotel I didn't have to experience it. second year I didn't go over third year we, we we're on the bus um, Appalachian League and you know you're you know you're finishing a game at you know, midnight, you know, rain, you might have a rain delay, you finish your game at midnight, 1 in the morning, you're on the bus and you've got like a 7, 8 hour bus trip back to your hometown, you know, you get in at 9 in the morning and you've got to be at the field at 2 o'clock in the afternoon for a game that day, you know, and it's it's a grind. Um, there's guys that have done that for 10, 11, 12 years, man, I don't know how they do it, but they do it, it's obviously a love for the game and there's, you know, that pot of goal potentially at the end of the rainbow, that you're going to get to play in the big leagues and and everyone handles your bags and you pay millions of dollars and fly nice jets and, you know, so it's like anything. I suppose it's no different than, you know, a kid tall and away in the lower levels of cricket or, you know, the lower levels of rugby league or any sport. And, you know, that what you see on TV is the good stuff. So the stuff you don't see on TV is not as nice, that's for sure. And how close did you get to that pot of gold in your playing career? Of not, the Major even, Leagues? not even close. Not even close, mate. So I played three years of minor league baseball. I got released. Um, and then I went and played. Uh, I played one year in Japan, in the Industrial League in Japan. What a, That was a great experience. Um, you know, great cultural experience, great baseball experience. And then um, my grandfather, grandmother, both being from Croatia, had an uh, opportunity to go play over there. They were looking for players. And I thought, my grandfather always had a wish for someone in his family or sons or grandsons, to go to the States, uh, up to the States, sorry, to Croatia, and see where he was from. And the opportunity came up, and it was sort of a last-minute thing. And they're like, oh, we can pay you this much, we can get you this, we can get you this. And I'm like, oh, you know, do I want to do it? And I bit the ball. I thought, you know what, I'm young, I'm single, let's do it. Let's go do it. So I went over there, and I didn't leave for three years. <laughs> so I stayed there, um, played for a team there in Croatia, um, played for their national teams. I was able to get a passport, um, got to travel around Europe, playing in a bunch of tournaments. And yeah, the level of baseball, you're not talking the same level as professional baseball or baseball in Japan. But from a life experience point of view and an enjoyment point of view, they were the most enjoyable three years of my playing career, no doubt. How did you grow as a person during that time?
1: Because a lot of people through their 20s will go travel just on, a, on an expedition to see the world, but you
2: got to couple it with your favourite sport. Mm. How did you come out of that as a person? Um, hopefully better. I know I had a lot of fun off the field. Um, so, yeah, listen, it was a different culture there, d- different culture. Um, you know, professional baseball in Japan, you know, very, very structured, you know, high pressure. Uh, where in Croatia, I was. we had two imports, so we had a Canadian pitcher and I was the second import. Um, and... We used to play games, um, we'd play two games on Saturday and then a game on Sunday. So you played play ahead double head and then a single game on Sunday. Um, and during the week, it was like, like salary was like, it was spending money, mate. It was like, so every, I'll, I'll give you a typical, and kids, don't do this at home, please, whatever you do, all right? So typical day, Monday we would have off, um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, mandatory practice in the afternoon, but in the mornings... Um, because of their their school system, some some of the some of the some of our guys would practice in the morning. Um, so I, I was at a, I was training twice a day. So I would practice in the morning from about ten to twelve. Go and grab lunch. I'd go. I'd have an afternoon nap, and then I would train again from about four o'clock till you know six thirty seven o'clock. And then after practice, it was like we'd all go. Have, it was amazing. Go have dinner, and our coach owned a bar, which was bad. And then it ended up being beers and a hangover the next morning and you just do it all over again. So during the week, it was pretty much, I was getting paid just, I was not a professional league, but essentially acting like a professional such, getting paid just to play. That's all I was doing. Um, so, yeah, I had, I, you know, that stage of my career, I knew I was not going to play in the major leagues. Uh, so it was about just having some fun and, enjoying the game. And like I said, those those three years were the funnest three years I had playing, no doubt about it. It was great fun. Seeing like we got to go to Barcelona and um, Rome and um, we played in Hungary, Slovenia, Serbia, Spain, uh, Germany, Netherlands, Belgium, uh, where else? France, uh, Prague, Czech Republic. Amazing. It was great. Like, pretty much a holiday with some baseball thrown in, really.
1: And that ability, I guess, to see so many different cultures mm. through that experience, is that something at the right time you'll encourage your son to do? So in 15 years' time when he's 20, mm.
2: will you encourage him to get out and see the wild world and, and see what's out there? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You know, like, I would never... Um, Europe had never really interested me at all. I'm not much of a traveller. I, I shouldn't say I'm not a traveller. I've travelled a lot with baseball, but I'm not really much of a holiday person myself. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if he gets the opportunity to, whether it's in whatever he wants to do, whether it's, you know, he wants to go on work and holiday or whatever he's doing, absolutely. it was It's such a great experience. And, you know, I've been lucky enough, um, I won't remember them all, but I've been in the States, I've been to Japan, uh, I've been to Mexico, Colombia, all those countries in Europe. Um, yeah, I've seen a lot of the, been able to see a lot of different parts of the world just because of my sport. I'm pretty lucky, pretty lucky to be honest. Jason, you during your playing career
1: at a young age, you took on coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, what drew you in at a young age to, to even kind of dabble in coaching and take on coaching roles? It's
2: interesting because while I was playing, I always had this thing for being a coach, and I don't know why, but it was it was my first year in, in professional baseball. Um, our manager was a guy named Al Newman, and he was a fantastic instructor, great educator, and I learned so much, you know, that um, so much about the game that I hadn't been exposed to in Australia. And it was then that I was like, you know what? This is like, and that first year I didn't play that much. I was more of a bench type player. So I used to just sit there on the bench and listen to how the coaching staff interacted and listen, talk to about decisions. And I'm like, man, like, like you said, this is, this is like a chess match. This is not just, you know, run nine guys out there and hey, go get them boys. You know, it was, it, there's a lot of homework and that that went into it. And um, that really got me intrigued about, you know, there's more to this game, you know, and then I'd started to study it and talk to people about it and, you know, hopefully retain some information. Um, But that was really the first time. So that would have been when I was 18. And then in the off seasons, I'd come back and play for my club team here, which is Blacktown Workers, and obviously still playing and getting my work done as a player. But I then started to sort of, you know, pass on stuff that I'd got in the states to players and stuff like
1: that. And players older and younger than you. Yeah,
2: yeah. So it's all, you know, in you know, with the twins, you know, we, we were taught this is how you know. For example, this is what we're taught about. You know, bunting. This is some stuff about positioning. This is you know stuff about base running. You know, whatever it was. But um, it was really that was when I started thinking. Oh, you know, this is this is some pretty cool stuff. Um, and then when I got I got released in. I'm trying to think eighty nine, twenty. I got released in September 2003 and I got a phone call from a guy named Reg Reg Renouf who was the president of Ride Eastwood Baseball Club and they had just, actually just won they just won the um, state league here in Sydney had a very successful run and I thought he was ringing me because he wanted me to play I'm like, oh, like that. That was my first thought. He must, he must want me to come over and play. Um, and he said to me, he he got on the phone and he goes, mate, I want you to come and have lunch with me. I want you, to, I want to have a chat to you about you becoming our head coach. And I was just like, Are you kidding me? I'm twenty. I'm head coach. Like the guy who was the head coach here before was a guy named John Gaynor, who played in the ABL, and he's. Um, you know the Gainer family synonymous with baseball in Sydney and I was just like golly this guy's on this guy's on drugs and went and had lunch with him and he told me why because listen he goes I even though you're 20 he goes I want someone to be our head coach that has has information coming from the US which you have that you can implement on our club which can then filter hopefully down into our junior program and I was like well, this guy's got some forward thinking, and um, it was a pretty tough decision because I was a I was a Blacktown boy through and through. I still am, <laughs> even though I was born here. But that's that's my club, um, and again, that was the challenge. It was like, you know what? This is a ch- I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do this. So I told him, Yep, let's do it. Told Blacktown they were a bit, you know, disappointed, but they understood it was an opportunity which I wouldn't have had with them, and I went and took it, and. That was the first real coaching um, challenge that I embarked on because I was 20 years old coaching guys that, you know, in a lot of them older than me. I mean, there's an under 18s team and then there's third grade, second grade, first grade. So there's only one grade where there's kids that are younger than me. <laughs> so the majority of guys were older. Um, yeah, and uh, we ended up having a pretty good year. So it was
1: a good year. Did you find that kind of the age disparity is. Did that make you nervous? Did it
2: provide any angst? You know, guys who are potentially even 10 years older than you? They were real. That group of players was really, really professional, mate. I didn't really have many dramas with them at all. I mean, you know, it's like any season. You have little hiccups here and there, which, you, you know, a few scrub fires you got to put out. But overall, that group was great to work with. I really enjoyed it. They were established, um, low maintenance. It was just a matter of implementing some new stuff that I'd. You know, learnt in the US and got for some people and put it in place. And um, you know, they really bought into it, which was great. That was gonna, know, yeah, which surprised me because I thought, you know, the natural reaction of a lot of people when you get a, you know, someone that young coming in, oh, this guy thinks he knows it all. You know, what do I have to listen to him? But they were really good about it. Um, and they bought into what we we're trying to do, and we able to implement some some stuff. And we had a we had a really good year. We were the we were the first we actually, we won first grade, second grade, third grade. All three. Um, our under-18s team lost the green final by one run. So we were close to being the first team, I think it was in like 40-odd years, to win all four. Um, but we won all three. And um, yeah, which was which was pretty cool. That's pretty cool. And the the, the bittersweet thing about it is we won the first grade against two. Blacktown. <laughs> well,
1: a few years later, Jason, as manager, you yeah. went on to win a first grade championship with Blacktown. Yeah. How special was that to win that title for your junior club um
2: that that was pretty cool that was um you know we it was uh we'd been we'd been close before not when i was a player there i think ninety six ninety seven they lost um, i made my debut ninety nine i think 99, 98, 99, nine ninety nine two thousand something like that and um yeah we we you know we'd made the playoffs and got knocked out um, a few times, and um, it was oh yeah oh eight oh nine and uh, the club had asked me i 'd gone back as a player I played back the year before because I was at ride for two years 04-05 um, and then oh five oh six, and then oh um, six o seven I moved back to Blacktown, so I played two years oh six oh seven oh seven oh eight, and our head coach was um was stepping down for for personal reasons and they asked me if I'd do it, and I said I would, um, and we we had to make some pretty tough decisions. There was a couple of veteran guys that um, I felt we needed to to move on. Um, I brought in some younger players from another club that I'd played with and, and, and mentored a little bit as a player, um, brought them in, and um, yeah, the rest is history, mate. We... Uh, we got off to a pretty rough start. I remember about the all-star break. I was pulling my hair out. I'm like, we're underachieving. And then when, you know, you, you know you have a good team. I knew I had a good team. I had all the pieces for it to be successful, but we're underachieving. So then you start questioning yourself, what am I doing? What the what the hell's going on here? You know, we're we're preparing the right way. We've got good talent. So you think, well, oh, I've got talent and we're, pre- we're preparing the right way, but we're not playing well. So who does that, where's that all pointed at? That's going to be, get pointed at me. So again, you start a little bit of self doubt. You start thinking, "Am I the right guy for the job? And are we doing the right things? You know, is there something missing here?" Um, and the All star or well, so I shouldn't say the All Star. Just sorry, baseball terminology, mate. All Star break. The Christmas New Year period, we had a break. It was actually the best thing for us. Excuse me, because we're able to, you know, re, um, you know, reset and look at what we needed to do. We made a couple of moves when we came back, and we won twelve of our last fourteen games. And got into the playoffs, and then um, we beat. Um, trying to think, lost the first playoff game to Manly, but we had two bites of the cherry, and then we beat Borkham Hills, and then we beat Manly in the final and won. In um, so that was uh, that was pretty cool because there were some guys there that had been in that club their entire lives and had won one, and um, to be, I ended, I ended up playing the second half of that year too, so I was player manager. So that was a nightmare, but we got through it, and um, I, I didn't intend to play, but then a lot of the guys, at, at again, that um, Christmas, New Year period said, mate, you, you need to play. Um, we're better with you, you need to play, so I did. But I was surrounded by some really great people, and um, just to see them happy and to see what it meant for the club at the time from to win their first first grade was, um, was pretty cool. Yeah, pretty special moment, actually.
1: And at the age of 27, Jason, you took yep. on another challenge and yeah. you became the manager of, of the New South Wales team, which became the Sydney Blue Sox. Yeah. You had a number of players who had had major league experience in that squad. Yeah. So it's kind of the the challenge at ride times yeah. 100. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How did, yeah. You, how did you handle egos, yeah. mixed
2: experiences. How did that go early yeah. on in that career? Oh, shit, myself, mate. I've got to admit. Um, so I'd coached there the first, two years before. So I coached under Glenn Williams and then under Kevin Bowles. And then Kevin Bowles had gone back to the US, uh, American guy. And um, Dave Balfour, who's my agent, was the GM. And he called me and he said, Pops, we want you to come in and um, have a chat about managing the team. And I said the oh, same thing. As I said to Reginald, I said, mate, you got to be kidding, right? I said, there's got to be, there's guys with are more experienced. He goes, mate, he goes, I'll be honest with you. We've asked a couple of guys. They've knocked it back, so we want to ask you. And I really appreciate him being honest with me, mate. I, I really did. Um, and then we sat down and um, we had a chat. And uh, it was it was Dave Balfour and, and Glenn Williams, who I worked under. He was, then, he was the high-performance guy of in Minnesota at the time. And sat down and I said, yeah, all right, we'll give it a go. And then <laughs> it, after I accepted it, kind of dawned on me. I'm looking at the roster, I'm thinking, shit, this guy's playing the big legs, this guy's playing the big legs, this guy's playing the big legs. I'm like, what, they're not going to listen to me. You know, like, um, but that actually, in some sense, made it easier because we had big leg guys in the clubhouse and they're professional and, you know, they manage the clubhouse themselves. And it was really my role just to, you know, write the lineup up and get them prepared and make some in game decisions. And um, yeah, we had a pretty good year. I think we were one game away from making the Championship Series. Um, you know, there's some, I made some mistakes that year, no doubt, um, which everyone let me know about, <laughs> which is par for the course. But yeah, I, it, that's the thing. Those, it, it's funny, that year we had the best team in my, probably year one, year three, I think were the two best teams that, that we had. Um, but I still think that my I feel personally my best managerial years were was year three and year four. Personally. What was um, different in those years? Um I just think I, I, I felt like I belonged then, like I knew what I was doing. Um and we didn't have the major we didn't have the major league guys we had. We'd had a couple of guys that um had gone back to the States, um, you know, for personal reasons. You know, career, actually gone back to the States to play. Some guys had retired, etc. We lost a lot of leadership. Um, But for us to be able to piece together those teams and and be competitive, um, you know, year three, again, one game from the playoffs, we got screwed by an absolutely horrendous call. No doubt in my mind. If that calls right, we're in the championship series against Canberra. Um, So that was probably, I felt, my best year with the team. But... uh, it was, those five years were great. The last year was pretty tough. Um, had something to do with the GM, I think, at the time. Is that you, mate? Were you the GM? <laughs> no, George, I'm just joking, George, George. No, just joking, mate. just joking, mate, just joking. But the last year was pretty tough. Um, we didn't have a real good year. But, you know, during that time, just to, like I look now, 10 years ago it is now, but to be 27 and managing a professional team and whether people think i was a right man or not that's out to me that's out of the question i just look at it and to be 27 and to be managing guys that had played in the major leagues which i didn't even get a sniff of um and i felt like i had some you know pretty good relationships with those guys and were able to you know play some good baseball and, and have some successful years as um yeah i'm pretty pretty proud of that actually
0: This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media.
3: For three decades, Penrith and the surrounding community has turned to the Western Weekender. Whether it's the Weekender's highly revered print edition or its up-to-date news offerings through its digital presence, the Weekender truly is the heartbeat of Penrith. Visit westernweekender.com.au or find your copy every Friday.
1: in sport is kind of leaving a legacy leaving your role in a better place mm-hmm. than, than when it started is that how you judge yourself you know that whilst you were in that role you, you moved it forward to a better place from when you um, started not necessarily looking
2: back at the people before you but just yeah. you kept things moving
1: yeah. in the right direction um,
2: it's, it's, it's hard isn't it I mean I've read that book Legacy about the, you know, the all blacks and stuff and um, it, I like to look at it more on individuals was I able to help individuals because, you know, front office level, there's a lot of decisions that get made that are really out of your control that I think can impact an organisation and impact the legacy. Um, so, yeah, I think the main thing for me was was I able to help some some players? Um, and I I would say, yes, I did. Um, yeah, you know, it's like anything. There's some players that, you know, you don't get along with and you don't impact. That's, that's fine. I think that's life. You've got to keep it realistic. But the players... There were some players there that I was able to impact. I think, um, yeah, you know, just got like managing the big leg guys, and then you know you guys like you know, Keon Broxton and Reese Hoskins, who are now current major league stars. You know, having the chance to manage those guys and be part of their career in in you know some little form, yeah, you know, that that's pretty cool to think about.
1: Have you found over the years that you get that real spark more from coaching side
2: or the playing side? Coaching side, actually. Like I said, the playing side of it. When I when I got offered, I was actually I, I just finished playing. I was still playing in the state league, when the Blue Sox offered me that role. Um, twenty seven, and I I, I, I remember because that the year before I started coaching in with uh, Glenn Williams, I actually played in New South. Wales. It, it was it was the Blue Sox. Um. Or, sorry, with the New South Clucks and Shield team. It was like a trial year for the ABL. And I played second base for the team. We lost in the playoffs. And then I, I vividly remember the first game back in State League. We are playing on field three at Blacktown at Rudy Hill there in a midweek game. And I remember standing at second base in that game thinking, what am I doing here? It was like, it was just such a downer from the ABL. You know, fans, we played in front of 6,000 people at Norwood Oval. Two days before, sorry, three days before, and you're on a backfield at Blacktown, and you can hear the crickets, and you know, it, it was just like I've I'm I've, I've had enough, um, and that's when I started to think about coaching. Um, but I think the coaching side of it to me, like being able to help an athlete get better, being able to you know you make an in-game strategical move that that works, and you know gives your team a chance to win. Um, those are the things, to me, that are really, that, they they get me going. That's why I do it. Really, is there a particular
1: philosophy you have with your coaching, or a mantra, or something that you stick to that you've developed over the years? Um, Without giving away any trade secrets. No, no. It's <laughs> funny,
2: mate, because I'm actually I'm doing an um, online course with the AOS at the moment, um, and we spoke about coaching philosophy in that you know, two three weeks ago. And one of the activities we had to do was. Um, Think about our coaching philosophy and how it's changed. And I think um, mine, mine has changed a lot. It's changed a lot. And I think it's changed a lot since I stopped with the ABL turn. Um In that now, I think, you know, looking at it is some things that you look at things you could have done better and things that you can learn from. I think it's important that you, yeah, the man management side of it is huge. and um, That's one thing um, that I think I've changed my philosophy in. Um, understanding the people, understanding that um, it's essentially a bit of a collaborative effort. You know, the, the athlete of today is not the athlete of 20 years ago. There's no doubt about that. Um, I don't mean this disrespectfully, but I think the modern day athlete can be extremely selfish and not as team orientated as it used to be. And I think that's because of money, because of money, money, money. Now, they, they know, you know, I, I'm going to, yeah, you know, I, I see in the NRL all the time, I, it drives me nuts that a team gets their asses kicked by 30 points and they're laughing with the opposition after the game, that would never have happened 25, 30 years ago when there was no money. But now you've got to think that, okay, I got beat by 30 points. Geez, not bad. I just earned $100,000 tonight. You know, <laughs> so there's no doubt in my mind that the modern athlete um, can have some more selfish traits. And that's no honestly, I'm not being disrespectful to modern athletes. I just think times have changed. Um, so I think that, You know, the the personable skills is huge. And the other thing is just making sure that you stay relevant and up to date with modern day best practice. Um, It's one of my favourite sayings. I say it a lot, but there's a reason the dinosaurs are dead because they didn't adapt or die. Um, And you have to understand the modern game and you have to keep yourself relevant because with technology and the amount of information that's at the hands of players now... They've got a really good bullshit meter. They can tell whether you're full of shit or not. So you better know your stuff because they can access that stuff online now. So you come in with this out of out of um you know, pardon the pun, but out of left field idea that they don't see in modern day technology and in the media, alarm bells go off in their head. Well, what's this guy talking about? You know? Um so that's one thing I think from a philosophy point of view that I try to, you know, instill in you know, myself and in my other coaches is to maintain relevance and understand modern-day philosophy and current best practice. And you've mentioned a few names throughout
1: our chat. Are there any, from a coaching and managing side, any mm-hmm. people you look up to
2: that have really shaped your career and their idols for you? Um, I've been lucky, mate. I've had so many people um, that have, you know, helped in, you know, some in real, real tiny ways, some in, you know, huge ways, but guys that um, have helped me a lot. You know, I go back to as a player, I had, um, you know, Barry, um, Barry Sundstrom, who was who was my first, like, club baseball coach, but also my first rep coach, and he played for Australia, and then the old coach and the old ABL. He was great, he helped me a lot, and then I um, had a guy by the name of um, Andre Desjardins, who was the head of, um, he was... Essentially, my position that I am now, you know, 20-odd 20, 20 years ago um, with New South Wales Institute of Sport, he was a huge influence on me as a player. Um, and then when I went to Pro Bowl, Al Newman, Ray Smith, Jeff Reed, guys that I was able to play under, different coaches. Um, and then back here, you know, um, I'm not afraid to say, he's probably been my biggest mentor from a coaching point of view, is, um, a guy named Tony Harris, who was on the national team for a number of years. Um, John Deebles helped me a lot. Um, You know, and even even guys that I I've coached with, like that have been on my staff. You know, they'll see something and go, "Hey, mate, you know, I'm seeing this or I'm seeing that." You know, it's. I think you, you get you get information and you learn from so many different. Like I said before, back to the um, philosophy. There's so much information that's at hand now on the internet. You can I can go on Twitter. I'm on Twitter. And I'm really only on Twitter for one thing that's to see what information comes out, and I'll get that and I'll share it with my players, share it with my coaches, and just try to educate all the time but um yeah, I think um you know my dad my grand like even um my dad and my my grandfather to some some you know part with just driving my competitiveness now you want to be a coach you want to learn from people, you've got to learn how to compete. Um, and Dad was always, yeah, he's hard on me, but he was hard on me because he wanted me to strive to do better. You know, I'd go four for five, and he'd be asking me, well, the fifth that bat, mate, what happened? You know, that sort of thing. So we have a bit of a laugh about it now. But, um, yeah, I, I, I've been really lucky, mate. I've been very fortunate to have been surrounded by some um, great coaches. Um, and if I missed any of them out there, I do apologise. <laughs>
1: And how has fatherhood shifted your perspective? You said you've got a five-year-old son mm. now. What what impact has that had on your priorities in life? How you view life? What changes has that made?
2: Um, I think it matures you really quick. Um, every every day's a challenge. Um, you know, as I said before, uh, you know, being in a, a separated relationship, I, I see him on Fridays and Saturdays, and even from week to week. You know, just seeing the difference in his, you know, his growth and his maturity and. Um, You know, he's doing really, really well at school. Um, Our relationship now is a lot, lot um, better than I think early on. And that was one of the main drivers why I stepped down from managing the Blue Sox was that, um, you know, for my son's first, say, 12 months of his life, I was nowhere else at but a baseball field. So that, uh, that, that connection... I didn't really have that connection with him straight away that I would have liked. So, but I do now. Absolutely, I do now. Um, and it was a matter of just getting better perspective in that. You know, yeah, I love the game and I work in the game, but it's not the only thing in your life. Now I've got a son. I've got to be a, a mentor, a role model to to my son. And um, yeah, it, it's great. It's great. I just, you know, nothing better than see, like want to take him to see my mom or see my dad and. Um, you know, all my, my aunties and uncles, my grandparents, how happy they are to see him. And he's got a great little personality. And um, yeah, it's, it, it changed. I think at the time, it didn't change my life, which most people say it changes life right away. At the time, it didn't. But n- now, my circumstances with him now, and looking back, changed my life immensely. And I think for the better because he made me realise that there's other things in life than just bloody baseball.
1: <laughs> and Jason, have have you taken the time, and do you take the time to, to look back and reflect on a really incredible 10, 15, 20 years as a player, as a coach mm. all around the world? Do you stop and think back, or are you more what's coming up, um, looking ahead to the future?
2: I don't really stop. and I mean... I don't really stop and look back. I think it, like, I know a lot of my, a lot of my mates and a lot of people in baseball say to me like, you know, they'll bring up something, you know, what about this? And I'll start to think about it. Um, I think some, the one thing I do is I, I, I do reflect and I think, you know what? I'm still, in a, from a coach's perspective, pretty young. Like, I'm, you know, 37. Um, I've been very lucky to do what I've done from a coaching perspective in the game. Um, I still get, you know, teased the shit out about why I retired so early. People like I, I actually, I um I strapped them back on last last winter for the first time in about eight years um to play in the last two or three games and pulled my hammy. So, <laughs> but I, we ended up doing okay. We won, so um that was that was good fun. But, I, yeah, I I don't think I look back on it as much as I'd like to, to reflect on it. I think, uh, like I said two, three weeks ago, that my AOS course, you know, just looking you know, that the question and activity and coaching philosophy, maybe look back at some things. Oh, geez, you know, that was all right. Um, and, you know, I've done some good things and done some bad things. I think we all learn, try to learn from our mistakes, the bad things. But, um, yeah, no, for me, it's more, yeah, the challenge now. Like I said, I get bored with things real quick. So it's like, well, what am I going to do next to really challenge myself to you know, to work towards. So I need something to work towards. If I if I have a a, a, a um a uh, an image in my head or a a um, a goal that I want to try and achieve, when I get to it, to me job done. What's next? Next, give me something else. Um, so that's uh. Yeah, you know, that, that's how that's how my DNA is wired. I think I'm like that. It's yeah, it's probably more forward than back. To be honest, I think it's important to reflect, though. I think it's really important, like for you know, athletes or um, coaches or even just people in 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 life. I think it is important to reflect on what you've done, um, and f- more so from an educational point of view about what you can learn from some of the decisions you make, um, and. You know, I say that to my kids a lot now. So it's not my it's not your it's not my career; it's your career. You have to make the, the the decisions, and then you have to accept the decisions positive. Sorry, accept the consequences. All right, positive or negative of that decision. So, because you know, when you when you go out there to play whatever sport, you don't have mummy or daddy or someone holding your hand, do you? You got to do it yourself. So, and along the same lines, Jason, do you feel that in
1: life? that we find ourselves or that we create ourselves. And what I mean is, do you feel that the path is laid out for you from start to finish or that every decision you make
2: shapes the path that you take? I think the decisions you make shape the path, no doubt. Because I'll tell you right now, when I signed my first contract, when I signed at 18, I had a clear goal. That by 25, I was going to be in the big leagues earning millions of dollars. I was going to be married to a hot blonde and have three kids and live in a mansion well, now I'm a single dad who lives at Kingswood. <laughs> so, you know, the, the what goal and what, um, you know, image you have in your head of what it's going to look like doesn't always turn out like that. So that's why I'm more, I think it's the, the decisions that you make are what shape your path and what you're going to take. Um, and you have to, you know, I'm, I've always, you know, as I've got older, become more realistic. It's like okay, I'll make a decision. It might be wrong, but I have, you know, sometimes you just got to make a decision. And if you do make the decision and you do feel it's wrong, well, analyze it. You know, what could I've changed? What was in my control? A lot, of, a lot of decisions you make, mate. Stuff's out of your control. You don't have a, cho- you don't have a choice. You do not have a choice. Um, and uh, you know, it, it, it's really, it's like. How do I put it? We all we all know we're going to leave this planet someday. Yeah, when someone leaves the planet, everyone's upset, and you know, you know, because you're losing a loved one. But the the harsh reality is is that you know it's going to happen one day, don't you? So it's really how you know you've got to just try and deal with it the best you can. Um, but yeah, no doubt, mate. I think decisions shape the path. And what
1: advice would you have for for
2: anyone chasing their passion in sports,
1: arts, entertainment, yeah. life? Like, what's one thing you look back on that got you to the point you're on now and say that that's a key, what would you pass on to someone else? Uh,
2: whew, good question, mate. Um, I mean, there's so much information you can give someone and help them. I, I think for me was... I think it shaped me being a, 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 a really, at times, harsh, black-and-white realist is, is education and just knowing where you stand, you know, it... When I was 17, 18, getting this interest to go play in the US, you know, I was getting all the all this bloody smoke and wind blowing up my backside saying how good I was gonna be. It wasn't true. It just wasn't true, mate. I just like I said, I went to Pro Bowl my first week or two there, I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? You know, and I think that, that was a, a lack of understanding. So I think, you know, understanding what it takes in your industry to be successful. Um, what are the traits of successful people? I think that's a big one. What are the traits of successful people? Um, and I think that you've you you, pardon the pun, but you've got to have the balls to take some risks and do some stuff that's out of left field. If you're not getting success, so for example, with the Blue Sox, we were like one of the first teams that went into you know analytics and metrics and using you know, data for shifts and positioning and stuff, and people thought oh, I was freaking crazy. Well, what what we'd used before hadn't bloody worked, That had it. So it's like, well, this is the way the game's going. Let's try it. Did it work? In some instances, yes. In some instances, no. Right, still hasn't worked. I still haven't won one. <laughs> so we, I think we might be the, the new version of the Boston Red Sox. Um, but it's just, yeah, I, that, that would be the thing for me, is just, you know, understand... What traits successful people have. Um, be realistic. Understand, you know, what are some what are some of the realisms of your industry and where you want to get to, and don't be afraid to take risks. You've got to take some risks. Uh, I I got no doubt in my mind, my 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 ABL managing career only occurred because David Balfour was willing to take a risk. Simple as that. If he was if he wasn't willing to take a risk, I don't think I'd have managed a day in the ABL. Simple as that.
1: (laughs) Jason, your managing and coaching career continues to grow and prosper. Mm. As you said, you've got plenty of years ahead of you in Mm. that side of your career. Mm. What's next for you? You know, you're rolling the emeralds. Obviously, we don't know exactly where Mm. the world's going, but what's what are your kind of key projects for the next
2: kind of six to twelve months? Um, I'd like to see us get rid of COVID. That'd be bloody fantastic, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, the emeralds is the big one. I think that's that's the thing in the next twelve months um, for me is just trying to get um, you know our structure in place. Like I said before about you know philosophies and our play development structure and um, getting the getting the girls to um, continue to get better physically uh, in their relative state programs. Um, you know the baseball New South Wales work is just. The usual day in, day out. It's the same twelve month calendar. Um, we're starting to get a little bit more of an influx of technology now, so I'm starting to try to upskill myself in that technology, and you know, one how to how to analyse the data and what story it tells us, but then how to use it to, to impact the player. So that's probably the thing over the next twelve months. But um, most definitely, just I'm starting to scope out and venture out now and look for what's the next challenge. Um, you know, even in other sports, like I see with the cricket thing and um, softball. You know, where where is there some transfer in skills from sport to sport and how that impacts our sport, but then also how our sport impacts their sports and whether they're uh, willing to take a risk as well, whether we're willing to take a risk, you know. So, um, you know, it's twenty eleven twenty eleven. 2011, I was able to go and coach with the Twins professionally too, which was pretty cool. Um, and... Again, you know, coming back to decisions, make you know, shaping your path. Um, I got through that year and they, they offered me a full time professional coaching role, but I would have had to go down the Dominican Republic and start from the bottom and work my way up. And at the time, being in a relationship, thinking about a family and stuff like that, it was like, yeah, you know what? No, I don't think so. Um, do I regret that decision? Yeah, I do. I do now, you know, understanding what's happened. Mm. Um, in my life personally do I regret that decision yes I do um, but at the time I thought it was the right decision so that decision who's to say I'm not in professional baseball now still coaching or managing a minor league team quite a possibility um, but I made a decision at the time that I thought was right and now I'm the you know leading the Emeralds program and head of high performance for baseball New South Wales and stuff like that so it's um yeah it's i've been lucky mate i i i don't like i said when i was 18 i wouldn't have thought i'd be doing what i'm doing now um but it didn't pan out that way and i've gone another path and chased opportunities and you know had the opportunity to coach you know internationally and professionally and stuff like that. i've been pretty lucky so there's times you know this chat probably made me reflect a little bit more on it mate to be honest i haven't had a chance to reflect much on it. look at it now I think you know what it's not bad from a not bad for a kid from the riff you know <laughs>
1: Jason a huge thanks for being on the Passion and Perspective podcast I appreciate such a, an open honest and candid conversation mate and wishing you all the best thanks mate thanks for having me
0: Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media and proudly presented by the Western Weekender.